Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, as I celebrate another year, we're talking about what makes something classic, what makes something old school, what constitutes nostalgia. You can now listen to episodes on our brand new BrotherPod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. It's also a place where you can interact with us directly through the TalkBack feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download to your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at BrotherPod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Also, catch our per-episode curated playlists on Spotify. Now, as I get older, let's talk about what constitutes classic, old school, and what makes something nostalgic. I'm speaking so slowly is because I'm old. Um, it's, uh, this episode, we are tackling what is classic? What makes something classic? What makes something old school? And when does nostalgia kick in? Kind of broad uh, spectrum ideas. But, um, you know, as I look back on my first 50 years of life, uh, I am... Uh, I'm reminded. You're officially old school. When exactly. I am. Well, no, I think I'm just old. You're, I don't think I'm like old school. You're like a cultural relic. Yes. Yes, <laughs> and I, I'm going to bring up several of those. Um, and we are, uh, I, I think we're also uh, finally introducing a uh, concept we've bandied about for quite some time. Uh, we are not going to do it in this episode, but we are going to do uh, introduce a concept that we're going to uh, start doing in future episodes, which is the 50 40 30 um, which is where we take a new album, a classic album, a genre, a period, a band, a film, a TV show, anything that um, uh, sort of is worthy of, of uh, scrutiny, and um, we review it through the eyes of someone who is 50, someone who is 40, and someone who is 30, now that I am officially 50. So um, I'm going to throw it out to you guys. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I you know, you kick around places like Los Angeles or... You know where there's a lot of you know young folks, or where I'm you know sort of encountering a lot of young folks, and you bring something up, and and you know the the term old school gets thrown around a lot, and um, I'm kind of wondering like what makes something old school? I guess it's you know is it in the eye of the beholder, or is there something that that sort of designates? Is there a time period that elapses that um, that allows something to become old school. Uh, what is it? What, what, it's a, such a commonly used term and such a poorly defined one. I think that, you know, like I think a, a generation removed, so, you know, is sort of a, a key concept here. So, like getting, um, you know, getting a full uh, 10 years or 15 years or, you know, even 20 years, basically one, one full uh, intake. One of, full death you know, cycle. <laughs> yeah, of, of uh, kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, is is actually probably about about the time, you know, needed to sort of clear the decks uh, for for fashion to completely 
um, you know, re- refresh itself. But it is yeah, I think you. Uh, I think too. It's it's kind of where you elapse that period of prime cultural, uh, you know, Relevance. saturation. Yeah, exactly. So it's either you have the young years where you're you're heavily influenced without a lot of uh, your own. I guess your own kind of opinions and guidance and you're influenced by the outside cultural uh, movements, whether in music, TV, film. And then there's the, you know, the period of your 20s where you know, you know, everything and, and you're very opinionated and, and have your uh, well, your own taste and, and likes and, you know, and then it all kind and then and then, so, and then you mention something and, and somebody says like, oh, yeah, that's old school and you feel very irrelevant in the 30s and 40s. And then you get bitter <laughs> and, uh, and start lashing out about how derivative everything is. Exactly. I mean, I think well, an interesting, like... um, an interesting, you know, sort of uh, perspective on this would be to say that it's it's really a lot of it has to do with um, the sort of practicalities of like consumer culture. Um, that uh, it's really the point around you know at which um, somebody can uh, who you know admired some set of fashion or whatever at the age of um, you know eight, nine, ten, uh, ten years old maybe a little older, um, sort of reaches 25 to 30 and is buying things for themselves. I mean, um, one, one sort of, uh, example of this in, in TV that I, I, you know, um, sort of, I just re- recall thinking a couple of years ago, um, when simultaneously, uh, and I'm sure you guys will be able to come up with, with other examples of this, but Halt and Catch Fire and the Americans were, were really, um, sort of hot shows simultaneously. Um, and, uh, and, and I remember thinking like, you know, that just a few years earlier, the sort of, um, the, the time period, um, that seemed to be most frequently like, uh, addressed in, in TV was, was really the 1970s. Um, and that, you know, we just sort of, um, wound the clock forward a little bit, uh, as, as I'd gotten older and I sort of thought, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. You know, it's around, I mean, we're basically tackling the period of, of, um, uh, around the time of, of my birth, presumably because, um, you know, we're smart enough to, to do the, the, um, to, to, I guess sort of, you know, aggregate ratings and figure out that people between well, 30 and 40 are most likely to be watching FX shows. It's, it's actually yeah, the people there's also who, another, it's the people who start making decisions become your age. Exactly. Um, and that's what they're right. nostalgic for. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, they start creating the content, and uh, and then you kind of realize that that's yeah, that's exactly what they want to see because it's what they know. So rather than you know, I've seen that it's seen because people your guys' age are the ones who are, who are working in TV studios and, and actually producing these shows. And well, the evolution has been. I mean, when I was a kid, people were nostalgic for the fifties. You had American Graffiti, and then Happy Days. And Laverne and Shirley, and then we're all about the fifties, and then what, you know, it, what does it say about me that I'm nostalgic for the fifties? <laughs> yeah, I mean, then a decade later, you got the Wonder Years, and and people were nostalgic for the sixties. You got a lot of like sort of you know hippie culture. The Grateful Dead was huge. I mean, that was sort of a an um, evolution unto itself. But they were never bigger than they were in the late eighties. Um, it's funny now, though, because, you know, like Jonah Hill just directed that movie, Mid-90s, which I didn't really see hit theaters with any gusto, but um, I'm excited to see it. It's it, it, When you're living through it, and, and Jerry, you can back me up on this, like we were living through the 90s thinking nothing iconic was being created. And no, yeah, absolutely. It's just you like, were... oh, this is just the way it is. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I think that's every... Uh... 
I think every generation kind of feels like that to some degree. I guess maybe not the, the baby boomers because they always thought they, um, they ruled. It's interesting. Know, created everything. But <laughs> I think, actually, uh, I, I but I do think that, that that's funny you say that because um, I, I would draw a, a line here and suggest that um, no, I definitely think that, that the two thousands were um, were a pretty profound uh and and significant decade in which you know things were really fundamentally like structurally changing about society so maybe that was we've recreated um, the baby boomers yeah so maybe (laughs) that maybe that was just like just pure pure narcissism (laughs) um on my part but but there was there and and everything's recorded too which is which is a different yeah so it's not going to be reimagined it's going to be reassessed well that actually brings up a really good point i think the, one of the reasons for the 2000s, so you had, you know, obviously huge cultural shifts in the, in the 60s and, and 70s and, and, you know, um, probably in the 80s and 90s as well, but it seemed less so maybe just because I was alive during that period. But, um, but I do think the advent of the internet and YouTube and, um, you know, things that we rely on heavily, Spotify, you know, just the fact that um, all of that has been you know, recorded, easy access. You can get his. You can get. Uh, you know, last year becomes relevant or, or his, historic because of a you know a show that was recorded at Coachella or, or um, you know, the fact that you can look up any review you want instantaneously. Um, you know, there's there's constant. I mean, if you look at like a Pitchfork or, or you know Stereo Gum or any of those. You know how how much of that content today is is going back to an album that isn't even that old. And, and, you know, talking about its relevance or, you know, it's a classic all of a sudden, that type of thing. And I think a lot of that is just access that you have now for that. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, I think there, there are probably a few different um, dynamics at work here, one of which is the fact that, like, I mean, and perhaps one thing that we don't really acknowledge enough on, on this podcast is the fact that, you know, pop culture such that it exists today really, really sort of evolved in the 1950s and 60s, particularly in music, right? So the idea of, like, rock and roll just isn't that old. Um, yeah. And the fact is we have more of it, and it just continues to stack on top of itself. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a, 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 but that but that means that, you know, you have um, a deeper sort of ocean of, of um, material uh, to, to choose from. Um, but, but beyond that, it's also just expanded extremely I mean, the, the horizons have just broadened so enormously in the last sort of 10, 15 years because of um, the, the distribution uh, mechanisms have changed at a, at a really sort of basic level. Um, and it's easier to, you know, to, to put your music online um, without, a, without, a, you know, without a record deal. So um, the, the effect of that is that it's sort of compressed timelines. Well, that, that's um, what I, I mean, that's part of what went into the thought process of, of bringing this up as a topic because, and, you know, the, again, this will be treading slightly um, familiar territory conversationally, but, you know, in the 80s, we only had two decades of things to lean back on as classic rock. Um, you know, anything that was from the 50s was really considered oldies. Anything from the early 60s was really considered oldies. So you had about 15 years entering the 80s of things that were canonical classic rock. And because of the volume um, was sort of limited by, uh, you know, terrestrial radio and the record industry, you know, what got promoted and what didn't, you really were dealing with a fairly small catalog, which is now... 
remained classic. I mean, you know, Stones, Beatles, Kinks, Doors, Who, yeah, Zeppelin. Um, And again, like, yeah, what Christian just said, like, it's been built upon, but those things still have that sort of, um, I guess you just don't double down and call it like classic, classic, you know? Well, but I mean, I still think that there's the, there's the distinction between oldies in the 1950s and sixties. Like, you know, the classic band that, that sort of straddles the line here is the Beatles, right? I mean, they can, you know, the first half of their, um, uh, of their discography is, is oldies and the second half of their discography is classic rock. Um, you know, you can like, like with all things in rock and roll, you can basically credit them with, uh, with, with sort of pioneering both sounds. Um, but I think the, the compression, um, and, and well, so to speak to your point about classic rock, uh, briefly, I think that that continues to be sixties and seventies. Um, and that was when I was a kid, you know, eighties was its own thing. Um, for the most part, you sort of have new wave on the one hand, or you have, um, that sort of shitty arena rock on the other hand. Um, you get creepers that that become uh, that that, that right. like creep into that. Like Jared and I have talked about before. Like you two cre- creeps into yes. that dire well, straits, so and they uh, sort of were when I yeah when I when I started listening. The thing that um, you know I, I always used to sort of talk with friends when I was uh, let's say going to college, and it was like oh man you know, and we would sort of remark on the fact that oh man like Nirvana is becoming uh, classic rock now. We are so old. Um, and, uh, the fact is though, that sort of stopped. I mean, there are a couple of bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam that maybe, um, fit into that mold, but I think because the sonics of, um, uh, of music started changing in the nineties so much, um, it isn't necessarily clear to me that there's ever really going to be, um, a big sort of. Uh, induction of 1990s bands into the genre mm-hmm. of classic rock. I, I, uh, I wonder if I wonder, and I wonder out loud if the Killers become the band that closes the door on classic rock. They, they're a great example, but I mean, I wonder if maybe we cherry pick one or two bands from each generation. Um, and I mean, the Strokes, the Strokes will probably yeah, fall into that mold as well. Yeah. I hear the Strokes at Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, completing their classic rock maturation cycle. Um, the one thing but, that, I, that always is an interesting uh, concept to me, and it, it points to the difference of you know that I've always pointed out, sort of uh, you know in the in the evolution, is that punk rock. I mean, in terms of calling something old school, because that's these are the two genres where I find this term to be used most frequently. Um, punk rock and hip hop, and old school hip hop is eighties. Old school punk is 70s, early 80s. Old school punk is deified as, you know, the sort of the original, the most authentic version of it. Uh, Everything else is kind of derivative. And then old school hip hop is sort of seen as a building block that and everything is sort of pushed forward in perpetual motion. Like people are more inclined to um, embrace the latest innovations in hip hop, whereas people are tend to sort of, um, uh, you know, sort of sneer at um, the, you know, whatever evolved into the, you know, the sort of new people playing punk rock. Would you agree with that? I think that the uh, on, on the punk side of things, I, I, I mean, what you just said got me thinking immediately, and I uh, missed the last sentence because I was off in my own. Um, uh, little world thinking about this, but I think the distinction here is like the musicality of punk, which, you know, as a, 
just the, the the sound of 1970s punk um, versus the the ethos. Like it isn't it isn't um, critical uh, or demeaning to refer to the sort of ethos of, of punk rock um, currently, and and it never has been in my lifetime. Um, but you know, this is the distinction between saying like the AAS are a punk band because they carry this attitude. Um, versus saying no FX is a punk band because you know they basically sound like a rehashed version of um, and I mean that's going to be an unpopular view with a lot of listeners and that's that's fine but I mean you know it just anything that sounds like it's sort of uh, imitative versus um, something that's you know genuinely sort of innovative but um, but has this sort of sneering snarling like uh, kind of teenage attitude. I think I, well, I think too um, one difference with the two genres is that <clears throat> punk, you know, was a, uh, or the seventies, late seventies, early eighties punk was a, a revolt against the same kind of classic rock you were just referring to that had become, you know, Nazareth and, and Jethro uh, Tull. Yeah. Jethro, you know, just bloated and, and huge. And, and then you had a, a band like the Ramones that came and, and went back to, you know, uh, straight up sort of fifties pop songs sped up. Right. And, and, and then, completely stripped it of any of its bloat. And where hip hop was a brand new musical genre, you know, built off of disco. So it's always been more innovative in a sense. It wasn't going back to anything, it was moving forward always. And I think that, uh, you know, there's, inf- I think with hip hop, it's like looked at as an influence, you know, that like people like, you know, Vince Staples love that, you know, and I consider kind of old school hip hop, I guess for me, like, you know, late 80s, but a lot of the early 90s too, really kind of laid the blueprint for what we have today and I think you know it's kind of the golden era in my opinion and and I think a lot of people my age's opinion but um but it still is always it's kind of touched on that hey I love Tribe Called Quest or I love you know Boogie Down Productions but you know we're taking the sound to the next level whereas you know a band a, a newer band that comes out um you know uh that's more punk you know fucked up or somebody like that they have they kind of go back to that sound they go back to that raw sound and immediately are called a punk band and, and i think you know with the yeah 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 too it, it's like a look and a style i mean both have a look and a style too so there is an aesthetic but it, it, you know if you look at punk today in general you know or, or music today there is a lot of innovation going on there too it's just it, the term punk is pretty limiting you know when it comes to musicality well so i think that this also gets to the, the compressed time frame question that um that Wyndham posed earlier i mean to, to your point about hip-hop i think um i, I for me anyway, I, I sort of see it as, as looking back to the past as much as it's looking forward. Um, and, you know, the golden era of hip-hop, as you say, was was really, uh, was cherry-picking a lot of those melodies, like, literally off of um, uh, old jazz albums. So, um, and, you know, sort of reincorporating um, different eras of jazz together and funk and soul um, and, uh, you know, putting basically putting them over a um a a drum machine or or something else and and you know sort of speeding up the beat and making it a little bit more danceable um but i I think uh you know an interesting phenomenon that you see currently in in rap and by the way i think you know people like um uh, there are plenty of uh plenty of musicians you know out there right now who i think are doing a really interesting job of sort of 
of tapping into that vein um, of uh, you know the the tribes or J5s or, or whomever um, and sort of it, bringing um, bringing jazz into sort of the the modern age of hip hop. Um, but I think you know even within the uh, and I'm thinking of folks like Chance the Rapper in that respect, um, who sounds incredibly sort of fresh and new and interesting but like yeah yeah but i mean exactly kendrick like i mean they're the guy won a fucking pulitzer for his incorporation of jazz and and hip-hop um i don't really know i think that that's probably a pretty old school award um what you know for if we're thinking about uh well are, are all awards old school but we can answer that in a second um you know but then i'm thinking about guys like joey perp who he is i mean partly just because he's so young um you know what to him he he's he's looking back into the into the sort of uh um uh into the annals of hip-hop and and really you know going as far back as like 2003 um you know and he'll he'll the old days yeah exactly um to and you can hear my, my my friend chris uh when you could take your ox to the store yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, but I mean, he's looking back at like Ludacris and seeing that as a, um, you know, as, as this sort of ancient, uh, uh, like ancient artifact. sound that he can, yeah, exactly, artifact that he can um, sort of unearth. And what's crazy is that like part of my attraction to it, I'm sure, um, at some uh, subconscious level is, is the fact that... Nostalgia. Um, yeah, exactly, nostalgia. And so, I mean, I guess my point is that I, I think, you know, hip hop's always been... Uh, looking at history and, and into the future sort of simultaneously just as punk has been. I don't know that it's it's exceptional in that way, but but really that the that in the last ten or fifteen years, like these time frames have really become compressed in a way that you can be nostalgic for something five years ago. Um, or that happened five years ago. Yeah, I, I think you know, I think it boils down I think one of the things it boils down to and I've always said this is that hip hop was always uh, the bastion of, of poor kids pretending to be rich and um, punk rock was always it was frequently the bastion of you know bored suburban kids pretending to be poor and authentic and therefore more authentic and so punk is by nature backward looking and hip hop is by nature forward looking yeah I mean I could that's a good point I mean it's not universal probably but it's definitely uh, it's close I think yeah, I think you would have a high percentage of both both uh, you know groups. Anyway, into that. you want to take a quick break and come back and talk about shit that used to be better and things that are better now that uh, people bitch about. Yeah. All right. Pulling up in that new toy, the wrist on that boy, rock star like Pink Floyd, waving that rude boy, I'm waving at you boy, ran off on the plug too like True Goy, imagine me do boy, you can never do what I do boy, still ducking shit that I did boy, niggas in Paris for a hit boy, these ain't the same type of hits boy, shit can get litter than lit boy, you don't take these type of risks boy, cause this boy been throwing that D like rich boy, you miss boy your numbers don't add up on the blow that was 10 years ago if you know you know yeah. if you know you know if you know you know welcome back to the brother 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 podcast today uh, as we turn the page on the f- uh on my half century uh we're talking about 
Old shit. Um, remembering old shit, uh, bringing it back up, uh, nostalgia, the like. But I was reading an article the other day, and, and I forgive me for not being able to cite it. I thought it might have been in, a, in you know, the Globe or, or the Ringer or someplace. You're getting old, Wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. Memory I, yeah. does tend to fade. So att- <laughs> attribution, um, be damned. But uh, it was talking about how the, the iPod was the perfect device for music lovers and why people miss it and you know not being not having your music interrupted by incoming calls um was a good thing and i'm gonna throw down and say i miss the ipod and that's exactly the thing that prompted um you know sort of this this conversation was that i was listening to an ipod not long ago and someone pointed at it and just goes old school (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) And uh, and where were you listening to an iPod? By the way, I, st- I still have like five of them. I do too, but none of them work anymore. Oh, mine do. Okay. So, um, yeah, I suppose not being interrupted by uh, call. I mean, this is this is it's funny. There's a broader, I think, topic here, which is really just, uh, I mean, nostalgia versus sort of technology skepticism, right? I mean, I think um, that, well. The uh, I mean, as, as your friend Chris said, uh, the old the old school where you can bring your ox to the store um, <laughs> is uh, in addition to being an amazing bring description, your iPod to the party, an amazing description of pre nineteen nineties history. Yeah. Um, is uh, is really you know uh, th- there's a there's a longer tradition of um, I think reluctance to adopt new technologies and sort of fear about the future. Um, and not just fear, but also, you know, skepticism that it's actually going to make your life better as opposed to worse. Um, and, I, you know, I think that for the most part, we have to we have to sort of look at like the, the long term sort of arc of, of time and, and economic growth and history and say, like, yeah, probably things on balance have been um, have been getting better uh, in terms of quality of life. Um, but you know, are there any, are there any areas, uh, let's not pick that apart and pick on that concept. Like, are there any things that since the 1980s or nineties, you know, have really changed about, um, the music industry or the entertainment industry, um, that have, that you think have actually, uh, you know, made it less productive or less, have, have reduced the quality. People videotaping concerts on their iPhones. Yeah, <laughs> it's painful. Fucking and, hate uh, it. Much appreciated, you know, recent uh, shows that I've been to where it's actually kind of asked not to do that. And uh, and I'm guilty of it too. We all are. I mean, we take pictures for our own website and, and for our own nostalgia, you know, to have the memory and to send to each other at concerts and things like that. Send other friends. But it, it really is distracting and can be uh, <laughs> extremely annoying to yeah. sit there and have somebody's phone in your face. And, no, absolutely. And, you know, we're all, all guilty of it as well. I, I also think, like, it's funny when you said the iPod win because I think that was the first shift where I was actually, like, really excited that you could have all of your music. So two things, like, and I think both of these things are better, actually. <laughs> um, we'll talk about it. Oh, so thank you for one, answering the, the question, Jeremy. The phone was worse. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> you know, I remember being young and cassette tapes were kind of the, the main mode of, of music listening and I think cassette tapes generally always sucked yeah the quality sucked down from day one yeah yeah the, the uh, packaging sucked they were cheap shitty the mobility and was then, great 
Yeah, mobility was awesome. Your car and the freedom of choice. The, the mixtape was great. Right, the mixtape. So getting to my my point there, vinyl was um, you know always kind of cool and nostalgic for me, and had um, and which is now back, but had you know kind of just the album cover, liner notes, things like that. And I'm sure when that's that's kind of what you grew up with. CDs too. Also, I know I think we're we're kind of a, a, a shit you know, mode better because you could skip around. Um, and the sound quality again was a, a... But the sound quality was much better. And then the mobility of like a disc man or something was great. But the ability to record really sucked because mixtapes were a huge part of, of any music dorks, you know, uh, fandom. Love life. So when the iPod <laughs> actually came out, like to have all of the music that I loved and, and, you know, could get on to one device was really incredible to me. Like, I was really excited, like, and didn't understand it. I was like, what do you mean? Like, so you, you know, where's an MP3 or how does this work? Um, you know, and at the same time, I was skept- very skeptical of streaming. And the reason I was skeptical of streaming is because I didn't own the music. It was always a big deal for me to have a collection of music that I, you know, you could come into my apartment or, or house or whatever at the time and see all the cool records. It was individual or, to you. You, know. you could, you could yeah, judge a exactly. person. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, fuck, I'd spent a ton of fucking money on, <laughs> on that and, and a lot of uh, curation just to look cool or judge others. Um, and so, you know, like Wynn's famous, uh, you know, our, our, I love the line you said about the, the CD tree, you know, the person that still has the CD tree with all the greatest hits collection, you know, instantly judgeable <laughs> and, uh, and downgradable as a friend. But like, you know, streaming now, I, you know, it's, it's amazing and I can't see, you know, I, the quality I don't think is good sound wise. Well, it's a mark uh, of, of good, I mean, of technological progress right that ultimately you can't imagine a world without it anymore but it's funny the main catch for me was owning my stuff so where the ipod came out i was like this is this is better than cds like i'm excited for this but then when streaming came out it took me way longer than it should have to stream and to, to jump on there but it also then kicks into that you know some of the earlier conversation where you just have such access so i mean as much as like you know, we can talk about things that used to used to suck and now are better. I mean, it's funny to go back to some of those things that I thought sucked that I now have access to listen to again. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of fun or this isn't bad. Yeah, I've got two sort of anecdotal things. One is I remember the MP3 player, um, the first MP3 player that I listened to was in my local bar. Um, and it was around the time of the smoking ban, so that gives you some historical context. I think this is going back to like 2003, 2004. Which and definitely falls under the better category, by the way. Yeah, smoking ban. Even though I was mad at the time. Um, but yeah, it, you know, and I, I remember hearing just a tinny quality to it and not understanding that that was the nature of MP3s. I mean, it's since been improved upon greatly, but there was this tinny quality that ruined every song for me. Um, that was existing, that existed in the early MP3 players. Um, and then the smoking ban hit, I quit smoking. Um, and, uh, and you could hear it again. Yeah. No, it just, it was, there was a tinny quality. There was like a, and, and it was weird because I felt like I was the only person that could hear this frequency, which wasn't true, but most people just don't give a shit about the, the quality of the sound coming out. And well, it was it, also what they were being played on, right? I mean, that, absolutely, that was sort of, 100%. Yeah. And it was the migration from a, probably a jukebox 
to an MP3 player um, that, that, you know, probably through the speakers, existing speakers. I mean, there's probably something to it that I didn't understand, but there was some, I did hear a difference. Um, well, the what, other, was the, what was the dawn of uh, earbuds versus over-ear headphones? Uh, the iPod. That's okay. uh, now, you had like uh, Discman and stuff. Had, you, know, you, had, it, had, you had in-ear? They had yeah. in-ear, but they had like the headband, like the Hillary Clinton headband. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. Those are yeah, so... Um, the <laughs> <laughs> we're crediting her with uh, uh, with earbud technology. Yeah. Um, so She's but, not just wearing a Discman. <laughs> <laughs> she was listening to... Yeah. Um, listening to Dire Straits' greatest hits. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that... From her CD tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think that, I mean, obviously the sound quality of these, of these have just improved dramatically. And, you know, for, for, uh, my part, I always notice this when I, um, you know, take a, take a risk and like, cause I, I just burn through those, um, uh, like Apple earbuds. And so I, I, you know, occasionally will take a risk and, and get the, uh, 799 ones on Amazon as opposed to the 1999 ones that are actually like stamped by Apple. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's something made in Shenzhen, China and, and frankly, like you just, there's no, there's no low end to it. Um, and so you like, it just, you suddenly become aware of like how far or how, how, uh, how improved the, the audio quality of the new ones is just because like, um, yeah, you can get really you can get really shit like early two thousand style earbuds if you uh, well, then uh, if you weren't the whole world went back to over ear headphones with with the Beats by Dre so it's uh, it's an evolution that's reversed on itself um, but yeah, yeah it's interesting I think I mean the I, the bo- yeah I guess the Bose over ear headphones were were a little were like they weren't really mass um, mass market they just weren't cool. You know, they were the yeah. kinds of things that... No, they were like, like businessman flying to Japan headphones as exactly. opposed to... I equate yeah. those 100% They were something with, you got out of the sharper that, image. <laughs> you know, noise-canceling headphones, and I would get his old ones when they would, you know, when the new ones would come out, and um, they're great. Um, and, like, technologically, they were further advanced than Beats by Dre, but Beats by Dre were cool, and that, <laughs> that coolness translated to about $3 billion in... Uh, Dre and Ivy's pockets, so good for them. Yeah. So, um, other shit that grinds your gears, Wyndham. Well, um, no, here, things, here's things a, that have. <laughs> well, here's a here's a, and these don't necessarily grind my gears, but like terrestrial radio. Um, you know, I'm glad it's gone, but I'm not psyched, as you can tell by mixes that I'm responsible for. I'm not. A, I'm not so hot on the siloism in music. If you get Sirius XM, it's great in the car. But, like, I want 70s on 7, XMU, um, you know, the bridge and and old school hip-hop and new school hip-hop on one station. Um, But did you get that And I think that's been gone for a long time. You know? I think that's something that both Christian and I missed. It it left in the 70s, really. Yeah, we had the corporate... Radio, so it was classic rock. It was alternative, you yeah. know. It was uh, hot ninety seven. Oh yeah, I don't even remember an era when terrestrial radio didn't just suck. Yeah, 
No, I, I, mean, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think of it. I don't think of it as something that ever really was a source of, of quality. Um, College radio you know, to me, I grew up on it. It was, and I don't, I don't miss it per se. And in fact, you know, I mean, I'm, I live, in, I'm in Boston right now, and and WERS does a great job of of mixing it up. I think they've really, you know, they're a great. That's a great station. Um, Morning becomes eclectic in LA. Um, my home away from home is is a great you know, sort of introducer of new music and old stuff. And, um, you know, that's, those are the last ones I can think of where somebody is playing a variety of music that I like. Um, well, I wonder if, if you're also, I mean, if, if in some respects you're, um, thinking about terrestrial radio and as being sort of uh, a more eclectic mix than, than perhaps it ever was simply because, you know, you now have the power of an entire, um, radio stations, uh, musical library in your pocket at all times. Yeah. And so you, you, it sort of shifts the perspective a little bit, um, you know, and, and you start to become a little bit more critical of what they could play. Um, when you, uh, when you consider, uh, you know that you, you that you have basically a, a, a ready substitute. Well, here here's the thing, it, and I, it, it, you know it's uh, I'm bemoaning siloism, and and then you know I can I can take it back to our our original uh, point here, which is that not only does Sirius have an XM station, which is sort of you know new music and indie rock kind of stuff, but it's actually got a uh, classic old school. Indie rock station. Um, I don't know if you guys knew Which that. Which is only ten years. I mean, when they only go back anything 10 over years, ten right? years old. Right, because I, I I've listened to that station, which I enjoy quite a bit. It's really good. But the the part that always throws me is a song that just doesn't seem that old to me, and I'm like, why the hell is this song? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and but you know, I guess it. You know, if you want to define it, they've defined it as ten years. That's old school. Yeah, that's and, that, and that's the root of our question. To Sirius XM. You know, what I, I also think too, like yeah, the ability. I think you also have you know pretty eclectic music taste, as all three of us do. So it's fun to hear you know a, a pop hit next to a uh, Black Flag song or next to an underground song that we love or that you love. And I think that that's pretty rare. And I think if you look at like the Pandora popularity or, or Spotify, and you guys have made fun of me for for this but um you know i think the spotify like daily lists that they put up suck i mean they're stupid it's basically like the last 10 songs i just played that i could just play on my own and then they really group it into a genre so it'll be like well yeah that's you know, exactly what it is mean, dunes or in, in anybody that's kind of in that world or if i've been listening to some country or something or hip-hop they kind of group it in but i do think their discover weekly is not bad and that's a much more to what you're talking about when we're like that algorithm captures kind of everything I've been listening to. I'm not saying it's great and I don't depend on it by any means, but like it does, I am like impressed that it'll have like a Harry Nielsen song and a Pusher T song in that, you know, mix and usually something that I, I wasn't necessarily playing. Yeah, I tend to flip it on and skim and like skip through. Yeah, I basically go and straight I occasionally to the find something new that I yeah, haven't or, heard before. Or, exactly. So I don't know, it's interesting now that it's all become, like, algorithmed, but, you know, there is, like, that thing where people just like to listen to what they like to listen to, and then then that's where the money is. Well, so there was a, I mean, the the head of, um, well, we should try to, uh, we should try to get him on, but the the head of data research um, for Spotify is is actually, I mean, you know, think about the data that they have in terms of... um, their consumers and, and what people like to listen to. And the fact is, uh, the, 
you know, people's interest in, in new music declines pretty precipitously um, after uh, after about the age of, of 20. After they um, have kids? No, after the age of 20. Really? What what you listen to locks in around 18 to 20. Yeah. Really? I thought it would have been like 30, but I guess I'm being generous because I'm talking to two people with whom I co-host a, a show about music. About, yeah, exactly, <laughs> about new music and, and um, you know, our, our sort of relatively diverse tastes, yeah. Um, no, but I mean it, it's it's true, and I, I sort of see this in a fair number of uh, fair number of friends, um, and I think that that's. <clears throat> but I mean that was a, a pretty shocking take for for me too, or a, a pretty shocking finding that I that I heard. So um, I think that you know they are perfecting in many ways um, uh, from a musical delivery standpoint, precisely as Jeremy said, sort of uh, you know giving 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 people what they want. Um, I think, uh, but from a um, sort of critical, uh, cultural, and taste-making standpoint, um, I don't necessarily agree that the people should be given what they want. Yeah, um, and that's really, you know, my own uh, sort of personal judgment. I think that they should. I think, frankly, they should have their horizons broadened, and they should shut the fuck up and enjoy it. No, it's, it'll be interesting. You know, as you hit thirty this year. Um, you know, to sort of watch your friends fall off in the uh, pop culture curiosity uh, world. You know, people stop going to movies. People stop uh, listening to new music. They, they, they will. You will eventually hear your friends say, "Like, why isn't anything good coming out anymore?" And, yeah. and, and well, it, it's already it's already interesting to see how um, you know the, with the exception of a small group of people with whom I sort of can. Go to shows. You know, persuade to go to any show. Um, for the most part, it's like each friend has one genre of, of music that they would be interested in going to see. Um, whereas, you know, in like the last couple of weeks, I've seen a rap, a country, uh, uh, you know, um, punk show. Like, it, I mean, it really doesn't. Um, it's sort of indiscriminate, I guess. Uh, but I, but I know who to call. For you know, to, your to various get, days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, um, you know, a lot of a lot of your friends will graduate into the into the place where they get married and then they have sort of hookers for various fetishism. Um, I think <laughs> you, you, you just have uh, various uh, music genres that you call your friends for. Yeah, getting old is so sad. It How is. have you guys done it? Uh, well, you, the good thing is that you lose part of your memory. It, it's like a, a friend of mine once said about Cal, about L.A. It's like you move there, you get 10% stupider, and you're happy. Um, <laughs> and I feel like that about age. It's like, uh, you know, you, you, you're like, wow, I, I really, uh, I kind of, I'm psyched I don't have to do X anymore, which is, you know, the inconvenience of, like, challenging myself. Um, you know, it equates to that. It's like oh, I'm really happy. I, I don't have to go to parties that I don't, you know, that I feel what obliged is, to go to. What is this nostalgia for challenging yourself? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, like you know, the, the, that that period when you're 30 and and you go to everybody's wedding, um, and you know, half the people that you go to their wedding you won't talk, you won't know in 10 years. Um, but you feel this obligation because it's that period of your life where you feel obliged to attend everything that you're invited to. And that goes away, and that's one of those things where you get older and you're like, wow, I'm really happy I don't have to, I don't feel obliged to do the things I don't want to do anymore. But, you know, in actuality, it's like I feel the liberty of being lazy and, and, and you know, uh, uh, I don't know, 
um, whatever. I feel the liberty of, of, of <laughs> not know, finishing the sentence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, just, I had a moment. Um, but, you know. It, I think, too, one thing about that, you know, with, in terms of culture and music and, and stuff is you get, I don't know, I find myself to be um, more accepting and less, like, I have more fun with it today. Yeah than I did and I think that's something that is uh, definitely a plus side of, of aging yeah, no, I, mean, like, I, a- I, I enjoy uh, I'm like you know it, it doesn't define you know sort of my uh, my identity or, or kind of uh, cred as much as well, you did, think, you, when I was younger. You'll argue with me, but you don't feel like you have to be as much of a dick to define yourself. It's like, totally. you, you yeah. like, oh yeah, that's totally watchable. Or, you know, I could totally Or that was through. just entertaining. Yeah. Or that was a good, you know, it's funny, I listened to Sound Opinions this week and they did a thing on um, McCartney. Lennon and McCarthy and, uh, you know, the one piece that, that just kind of annoyed me was their just complete dismissal of, of, you know, the McCartney Wings era. And not because I think it's like, you know, critically acclaimed amazing stuff or by any means has best I love it. work. But like, but it's really catchy and good. And, and those are the things that I just don't feel the pressure, you know, the pressure anymore to be like, that's not cool, you know? Yeah. Um, if it's good, it's good. Yep. And like, so you're like six years away from embarrassing your children at, at events. Exactly. You know, uh, I'm sure you already embarrassed me. I, <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're young enough. It's like, you know, maybe three years away. Who knows? But it's like, you know, and I do, I see my friends getting in arguments about like, you know, saying things that I heard my parents say that I resented it and really got angry about when I was a kid. Like, I, this isn't music or I can't believe they watch this shit or, you know, I mean, literally like you take, you know, screen time or the iPad or whatever it is, YouTube, whatever, you know, whatever kids are watching and, and you can, you can literally replace that with television for when I was a kid, it was like, God, the thing's going to make you an idiot. You know, you're sitting too close to it. You're spending too much time watching television. Can't believe you're watching MTV, you know, that kind of shit. And it's just, it's funny. It, it just evolves and it, and it just changes, but it doesn't, the, the underlying sentiment is exactly the same. Definitely. What are, what are just quickly a couple of things that uh, haven't aged well that were classics of, supposed to be classics of your time? When Record stores are gone. Way. College radio is gone. Um, people don't listen to whole albums. Uh, I don't think they need to make whole albums anymore, frankly. And I don't, you know, I wouldn't argue with that. Um, the iPod. I don't was think a, people feel the need to. <laughs> yeah, but they, but they do. They they people make albums, and and it's a weird thing because it was a space and time constraint. It was a technological constraint to make twelve songs that lasted, you know, sixty minutes, and that that's gone. So, you but know, it feels much of, more. Uh, it does feel more optional in the sense that, like, you know, you, the the sort of the like top heavy hitters these days are are really moving ahead with um, you know single releases uh, that. I mean, and I think that, you know, in particular in the last couple of years, SoundCloud has facilitated this kind of um, this kind of development. But, yeah, it, it, it's less – I mean, there's there's less sort of orthodoxy around this issue, well, I, I guess. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a slow mover, um, and I would say that of my own industry. I mean, you know, you still got half hour and hour long shows. Uh, you still have 90 to two, 90 minute to two hour feature films. Um, right. You know, but also, I, I mean, look, it's, it's not an industry that's the, all that keen to like, um, radically change. shake things up and experiment, but that's what the artists are for. 
Yeah, exactly. That is what the artists are for. And I hope that's, you know, I hope they utilize that power for good. Anyway, you want to take a quick break and come back and, and, uh, and reminisce a little bit more. Sounds good. All right. podcast today we are reminiscing about what is old school what is nostalgia what is classic and um what is aging um it was uh my great fortune to be born the same week that the white album was released so 50 years ago this week was the white album um speaking of eclectic non-conformist um experiments in uh, uh what an album could be um have you guys listened to the White Album start to finish in, in uh, any time recently? Yes. As a matter of fact, I was driving from Charlottesville to Washington, D.C. on Monday, um, and uh, I was confined to the limits of my car and my two huge CD binders from high school. Um, <laughs> I uh, actually had no idea that it was the um, anniversary of the White Album, and yet I... And for that matter, I would add, rarely listen to that when I was in the car, partly because there's something, like, vaguely, uh, sort of ambiguously unappealing to me about listening to double albums in the car. Um, I tend to sort of migrate toward uh, Revolver or Rubber Soul um, if, I, if I do choose to go with, with the Beatles. Um, and even more likely is that I just uh, revert to the sort of norms um, that shaped my high school years. So uh, I have to say... Um, Separation Sunday by the Hold Steady is one of the most worn out CDs um, that uh, that I own. Um, but yeah, weirdly enough, I actually like again, and maybe this was subconsciously sort of triggered by uh, by seeing a headline somewhere. But I, I really, to my knowledge, don't think that I um, knew that the uh, anniversary was coming up and listened to it start to finish twice. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty good. It's uh, yeah, seven, hey. seven out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just I it's funny like there's a couple of a couple songs I would delete from that pl- Yeah, from I was going to say you could list. definitely cut a few. I actually uh, it's funny though. I also thought about your um critique of it which is uh and and you know it's I I think actually there was I there was something else written this week about the the songs that somebody would remove from the white album. Um and I I guess that's sort of a, a popular trope is sort of which, you know, is, is eliminating a couple of tracks off that. Um, but I, you know, I'm not really sure that any of them, um, uh, would, would, you know, wouldn't too significantly like lighten the, lighten the load. I mean, it, it's sort of, you've always mentioned piggies, right? As, yeah, as piggies the, and, and the number nine. Number nine. Oh, number see, that's, nine. that's the thing. It's, I, I don't know that that, I'm fine that that's there. Oh yeah, me too. Well, it makes it the theory, white album, but it just—I don't want to listen to it. I yeah. skip it when but it comes out. But now you can, now you can, yeah, now you can skip it and cherry pick. 
I was going to say, I didn't listen to the White Album, but I did listen to a, a massive uh, Beatles shuffle on my phone the other night when I was cooking. It's pretty fucking great stuff. I just, I, you know, to me, the White Album was, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've always felt an affinity for it as soon as I learned that it was, you know, released um, the week I was born. Uh, but it also, it, it really is, marks the sort of division of McCartney and Lennon, I think, and everybody and George Harrison. And, um, but still it, it might be, you know, it's some of all of their best. I'm so tired. Um, I'm so is, tired. It maybe is periodically my favorite Beatles song. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. And everybody's got something to hide. Yeah. Everybody's got something to hide. Uh, happiness is a warm gun. I mean, it's when they got, it's when they got severely weird. Um, people think Sergeant Pepper, well, but is it's, it's really three, the way three, on. yeah, it's Sergeant three Peppers, solo albums yeah, laid on top of each other. Exactly, and I love it for that. And um, you know, there's three very few, um, you know, but and then there's weird little, you know, things like Dear Prudence and and um, uh, Blackbirds on that too, right? Yep. Um, I mean, just all Glass these little, onion. just all these weird, di- you know, sort of divergent pieces that that sort of came together, and and um, it's not even called the White Album for that matter. So uh, yeah, I was about to, I was, I was going to say earlier, this is this is uh, to be confused with the Beatles, self-titled. Um, but that led me to another bit of nostalgia, which I was reminded of um, by uh, an article in the Ringer and Oral History of Nirvana's Unplugged. Um, which was actually, uh, so 25 years ago, last night and tonight, um, I saw Nirvana on back-to-back nights, once with Jeremy, once with our sister Lisa, and it was awesome. And I, you know, I sort of, I, Nirvana got so overplayed for me in the intervening years that it didn't, it, you know, it sort of doesn't hold the magic that it once did, but I have to say, those two nights going to see that band two nights in a row with the Breeders and Half Japanese opening were fucking magical. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, fitting to the sense that it was it's, it's old school now. I think I was turning seventeen um, when that that you know you took me that show in, and, and uh, I never ever would. I mean, I I think we all kind of knew Kurt Cobain wasn't long for this world, but. Uh, but I didn't think that was going to be a, uh, you know, classic rock band or to say even, you know, and, and I mentioned sometimes like, oh, I got to see Nirvana live and people are like, oh my God, that's, you know, even people my age and people younger. And I'm sure that same thing happens to you when like, and also you and I were kind of just chatting on that article yesterday a little bit. Um, it was one of those rare times too, where you got to see a classic, not knowing that you were seeing a classic. Obviously they had changed the face of popular music and, and that was not lost on anyone, but it was a music style that you and I had been listening to anyways prior. So they kind of just took what we liked into the mainstream, um, and did it, you know, better than, than, than most, but it also was one of those times. And I think both the shows you went to and definitely the show I went to where it lived up to everything you built it up to be. It was Definitely my favorite yes. band at the time, you know, definitely the, you know, most popular band at the time. And it wasn't, you know, the Coliseum they played in was not huge. Was well, that was, like that a, was one of the things. in a stadium. I was going to say um, that uh, if that, if it were, um, you know, if the current industry had its, had the same sort of uh, data collection ability and the same sort of 
um, you know, technology. Yeah, they would have been playing MSG. They would have been playing MSG at the at least. Uh, they yeah. wound up playing at a place called the New York Coliseum, which uh, is inappropriately named a coliseum. It was actually, um, it's, it's it, it was basically like where they had like car shows and and like shitty um, conventions. Um, boat shows and things of that nature and it was on the site where uh, the Time Warner Center sits currently um, it was probably a 3,000 capacity and then the next night it was at Roseland which is about a 3,000 capacity as well I was reminded um, via Facebook through Lisa and Diane the people I went with the, the following night that we ran into John Cusack at the bar and uh, Tatum O'Neill was making out with like an 18 year old guy um, in front of the stage, it was pretty funny. Could, could there be two more like uh, era-specific celebrities? celebrities? No, <laughs> John Cusack was there in a Flyers jersey, so uh, you know, even even better. But it was uh, um, it was it was two really amazing nights. The following night, they they recorded Unplugged. So that's that was it, the precise moment when we saw them. So um, you know, they were. It was just. Uh, and again, you know, I, I forget how, you know, much it meant at the time. Um, I have mentioned before that Jared and I were in line, and actually Jeremy mis- mischaracterized that he took me for my birthday to see uh, Nirvana at New York Coliseum. Um, and I said in line, I'm really psyched we're going to see these guys because he's going to be dead in six months. Um, and there you go. Hardly, hardly... Uh, uh, a soothsayer, but um, you know the writing was on the wall, and, and it was pretty. Uh, I think fairly obvious, but I have, uh, I do have, um, uh, I can conf- you know sort of uh, you can verify that I did say that when we were on the way in. So congratulations for killing Kurt Cobain, Linda. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, but it is one of those ones now where you know at the time I didn't think it would be this way, but you know I remember when people told me they saw. The Clash, or when people told me they saw the Beatles, uh, it's become that level of like, holy shit, you saw Nirvana. Um, you know, it's kind of cool. That's one of the that is one of the joys of getting. I will bookend it by saying that is one of the joys of getting old. Is the uh, you know to borrow from LCD sound system once more. Um, the I was there factor. There is some. There is some. Not only the, the sort of credibility or the, the cool factor of having seen certain people at certain times in certain places, but just the joy of having seen them, um, having yeah. seen people like Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard before they died, having seen Nirvana in their prime, um, just, you know, some, having seen Black Flag at clubs when, you know, in 1984, it was, you know, it was just a different period. And, and you know, you will inevitably, no matter how old you are, at some point have that, uh, you know, that conversation with somebody who wishes they had been there, wishes they were old enough or think they were born at the wrong time. Um, and it's kind of fun. Well, let's hope, uh, you know, we can bring your wheelchair to the front for future concerts. Yeah, it's going to be create a, more memories. It's a bonus. Yeah, we're going to get pretty close. <laughs> good, good seats. <laughs> anyway, I want to get a quick break and come back and, and, and this way we end everything. Sounds good.
right, welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. We are going to end this episode the way we end every episode. Um, Jeremy, what are you listening to? All right. Um, well, I got a couple things. And uh, one is a book, actually. So reading uh, The Mars Room by Rachel uh, Kushner. Uh, when you had mentioned this book to me a while back, and I finally got around to picking it up, and uh, I will not say that I have finished it, but I am plowing through it and uh, absolutely love it. It's a uh, you know book based on a young woman who's serving a life sentence, and uh, kind of unravel why she's serving a life sentence. But it's also just a, a very well written, intricate kind of look at the. Uh, the other side of the Bay Area and San Francisco and, and being young and kind of hopeless and uh, not having options. But um, really well written, moves along great. I highly recommend it. And uh, thanks for the recommendation. And then, um, you know, also jumped into this week. Um, I haven't read much about it, but I know the surprise album by Vince Staples FM. And, uh, you know, again, like, I, I just really, really like this guy. <laughs> He, uh, you know, put out another just start to finish great record. He doesn't even rap on all of the tracks. He has a lot of guests, you know, Earl Sweatshirt. And it's kind of set up as a um, classic sort of FM radio, uh, you know, summer jam, you know, via L.A. And I forget the DJ that he uses, but there's a classic L.A. DJ. You might know when I'll find the name. But, um, and you know, but the, the tracks themselves are, are, are pretty bleak um, lyrically, but, but very upbeat uh, musically. And uh, I just... Like, you know, it's not, he just hasn't missed yet, in my opinion, as far as, as uh, records go. So I'm going to continue to to jam on that as we fall into dark winter days um, to uh, brighten the music spirit. Yeah. And uh, it's it's great. So if you guys haven't checked it out, I'm sure you have, but um, do. It's, and, uh, it's definitely the Mars. Yeah, I'll pick up on that thread just because I... Uh, yeah, um, I have uh, I have really enjoyed that album, and um, just to toss out a couple highlights. Uh, well, for one, the fact that the um, the caller uh, on the on the skit, uh, the second to last track on the album, um, is named Christian. So that's uh, that's that's a major bonus in my mind. Um, but uh, aside from that weird detail, um, actually feels like summer outside. Uh, Relay, run the bands. I mean, those are uh, those are real highlights for me. I think they're fantastic, and it, I'd say that this is a um, you know, Big Fish was a little bit of a uh, departure from I think um, his um, his first album, Summertime '06, and uh, FM. I would say is a return to the form a little bit of, of um, Summertime 06 in terms of uh, some of the, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit less, um, I would say, like, dancer or, or club-oriented, like, it's, which, I mean, I, I thought Big Fish was, like, really interesting sort of progressive um, uh, yeah, club music, but, um, but I think that this is, uh, this brings, you know, this is is more lyrically focused the way that, that summertime 06 was but yeah that guy just has like he just has that you know serious seen too much shit um uh like deadpan about his delivery that that i that i love you know i, I think yeah, it's I mean, phenomenal i think one of the just last thing on that but um but um the thing i love so much about his style is musically it's um it, there's like a contrast you know a lot of times the the sort of bleak you know like i've seen it all um hip-hop artist you know the music kind of follows that it's very you know mob deep or you know sort of those very kind of stark sounds and i think he 
has like a total contrast with like beats and, and samples and then you know lyrically and flow wise is rapping about some pretty serious shit it's great cool so the so, other um the other thing i would uh, just toss out there sorry when you were gonna ask something about Vince. no i was just gonna i was going to prompt you to say is that what you is that your as well but uh uh, no, I was actually, um, so I, I was just going to toss it out that I was at, uh, Ty Siegel's, um, show on Friday, uh, here in Brooklyn. And, um, that guy is such a fucking phenomenal performer. Um, I, I really like, I, so I've, I've described Ty to you before, but I think, um, that he's like my, my musical spirit creature. Like he just sort of anything, um, you know his his tastes are so well aligned with mine, and I think are are you know we're close enough in age that like um, we just draw from a lot of the same sort of punk and garage reference points. Um, and you know I was thinking during that show that um, I think that you know Wyndham in particular, you you've always been drawn to sort of a, a um, lyricism and uh, you know I, I think a, a quality. In people like Elvis Costello, or um, I mean, toss out another couple of your favorite lyrics writers uh, from that era, like the sort of Joe Jackson, like um, that. That those guys are, I think, uh, able to craft with words what he's able to sort of improvise on a guitar. Um, and in the same way, you know, he he can sort of take you through this like meandering. Um, set list of, of uh, a mix of covers and his own music. It was in this particular show, and I was I have to say I was a little bit skeptical of this because it was a it was a solo acoustic show, um, mm. right? Except that it was incredibly engaging, um, and uh, frankly, it rocked out as hard as anything else I've seen him do. So, um, you know, his ability to perform within that context, um, and you know, sort of set these uh, set these fairly narrow. Um, sort of parameters or, or um, you know conditions on a show like that, and then and then con- you know and then just sort of burst out of them um, and get the entire room rocking. I mean, it was like it was pretty cool. Oh, he's cool. Uh, he's an incredible he's an incredible talent, um, and I feel like a, a, a sort of um, uh, yeah a living time capsule of, of garage rock through the decades. Nice, nice. Well, I uh, I am. In the spirit of, of the work that I'm currently doing, watching documentary after documentary after documentary, and um, I have enjoyed, I've also been sick, so um, I've been enjoying things like Hip Hop Evolution and, and watching the final Bourdain um, episode, but I, I highly recommend going back a long way and watching my best fiend, uh, Werner Herzog's uh, documentary about Klaus Kinski and work and their work together. They did five movies together. Klaus Kinski might be the craziest person that ever walked the earth, and it is a, a sort of love letter slash um, documentation of of insanity. Uh, but Werner Herzog's uh, documentary about Klaus Kinski is called My Best Fiend, and it's uh, uh, you know it. it I can't really. It's it's in German with subtitles, so um, you know I'm doing about as good a job of selling this as Jared did with the Mars Room. But just trust both of us when we say these are great things, and you should watch them. Um, I also watched "They'll Love Me When I'm Dead," the new uh, Orson Welles uh, doc, which sent me down a, a wormhole of of looking into Orson Welles's life, and what a strange 
baffling career and life that guy had. What a brilliant man and what a, you know, sort of strange, uh, I don't know, exhibition of talent and waste of talent all at the same time. So um, documentaries, that's where my head is. Um, You want to go ahead and put a song on the 34,620 10 best songs of all time? Christian? Sure. Um, I will go with, uh, in, in continuation of a, um, of a theme here, uh, I'll go with uh, Girlfriend by Ty Siegel. Nice. Jared? I'm going uh, old school for me, my old school, just because I want this song in the mix. And I'm going uh, Positive K or Pause K. No way. With, uh, I've got a man. No way. God, I'm adding that to the playlist for the weekend. Um, I just made a, uh, after watching Hip Hop Evolution Volume 2, I've been, uh, the uh, playlist for the weekend is uh, heavy, heavy on the old school hip hop. Um, I'm going to go even older school back to the week of my birth and put on I'm So Tired by the Beatles. Nice. All right. right, Well, happy birthday. Thank you. And uh, talk to you guys soon. I'll see you all soon. Thanks so much. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>